Hi, my name is Joshua Moon, and I am a sixth grader at Quest Academy. Recently, I got the chance to interview civil rights activist Diane Nash. I asked her if she thought that the Black Power Movement had been effective. Um, not nearly as successful as the nonviolent movement was. In the nonviolent movement, we set objectives and we achieved them. You know, like 1960, we set an objective of desegregating lunch counters, and we did that. 61, we set an objective of desegregating interstate bus travel with Trailway and Greyhound, and we did that. Then we set an objective of getting the right to vote. We did that. Um, so we were rather specific, and we, in the nonviolent movement, consistently set objectives and achieved them. Um, like I said, I don't recall specifics being spelled out for the Black Power Movement. Um, I think we've got a, a long way to go to get black political power, long way to go to get black economic power. And it's much more nebulous. I can't point to the accomplishments and successes as specifically as you can to the nonviolent accomplishments. What do you think was the biggest, the two biggest parts that pushed the Black Power Movement forward? Uh, that pushed the Black Power Movement forward? Yeah, the Black Power Movement forward. Kwame Ture and SNCC. Mm, the Black Panther Party. Yeah. Um, I knew people in the Black Panther Party, and I know that they had the right intentions. They were very devoted to black people. They did things like uh, free breakfast for school kids that were too poor to, and that would go to school hungry. Uh, and, you know, I had a number of really good community programs. Personally, I think they made an error by their rhetoric, uh, calling the, co the policemen pigs, um, violent, violence in their rhetoric, having their photographs taken with rifles and uh, you know, those kind of pictures in their newspaper. And I think the mistake was they were coming up against a police force that was well-armed and gave in, well, it, it's like, if it, it's, it's, how do I want to put this? Nonviolence. Yeah. was very disarming because when we announced that we were nonviolent, for the police to be brutal and violent with us caused the general population to side with us. By holding rifles and um, with, non with violent rhetoric, it kind of uh, made it easier for the police to kill them and be violent with them, and that's what they did. Uh, and, and and they were just no match when it came to violence for 
the forces they were up against, the police and potentially the uh, state police and, the, you know, all the way up to the Army. I see. Did the Freedom Riders have a... Wait, wait a minute. Before you do that, I, I just want to quote my former husband. He says, you don't throw a rock at a man who has a machine gun. That, that, that kind of sums up what I think the Black Panthers' mistake was. Thank you. Okay. Now, what were you going to ask me? What were you involved in during this Black Power movement? Mm, what were those dates? Do you know? Uh, 1967 to 1980. Okay. By 67, I went to Hanoi as part of the... Uh, anti-Vietnam War movement. Yep. And uh, so I was in the peace movement. I was involved somewhat in the uh, women's liberation movement. And I, uh, I divorced then in about 1968 and became a single parent. And so I was working full time and... Uh, and being a homemaker and a mommy to my two children. I have some questions about SNCC. Yes, I was one of the founding students of SNCC. During research, I heard that when Stokely Carmichael um, started using the phrase "black power," that he cut everybody white out of the black or out of SNCC. Is that correct? You know, SNCC was much more democratic than one person. Uh, he couldn't have done that by himself. Um, around that time, there was a sentiment of excluding whites for a couple of reasons. Okay. One, white people had been used to exerting power. Yeah. Uh, and they started doing that <laughs> in the organization. Uh, and it was difficult for blacks uh, to counter that. Um, many blacks in SNCC by that time were rural people with very little formal education. And uh, so there was a real problem of white authority, white uh, control uh, taking hold over SNCC. And, and the other thing was we very often, uh, I'll put it this way, very often when white people want to do something uh, positive about racism, they want to come and work among blacks. The racism problem is fundamentally among whites. Um, and SNCC took a position that white people who wanted to be positive and do something to eradicate racism could do things in the white community that black people could not do. And that to have them working in the black community meant that their talents and efforts were lost to the white community. 
So that was the second reason. They called on white people to, to go and eradicate er racism among white people, which I think was a really good um, position because well, we still have that today, that, uh, you know, there are many areas of white society that are just extremely racist, and there are relatively few white people who are working in those white communities against racism. But very often it seems more interesting or exotic to white people who want to do something to do it in the black community or to do it in Africa or to do it among the oppressed people, which I don't think is the most efficient uh, choice. Did anything what do you think about that, Joshua? I think that the uh, article that I got that from I think that they over-exaggerated about um, black people cutting out everything, all the white members from the SNCC. But uh, I think that uh, white people, if they were in involved more, then they could have uh, ruined the movement. Yeah, they have to be involved in the right way. That's the thing. Uh, if they're involved in the wrong way, yeah, that would ruin things. Did anything positive come out of the Black Power movement? I think yes. Uh -huh. um, unfortunately, we who are descendants of enslaved Africans in the United States have done a strange thing, and that is we have tended to admire and imitate the oppressor. Oh. Um, for instance, you may have heard the expression, good hair and bad hair. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, well, when I was growing up, and even now uh, in, in some places, um, they, black people refer to straight hair as good hair, hair that resembles white people's hair. I see. And uh, kinky hair or nappy hair and hair that's typical of African people's hair um, is often uh, referred to as bad hair. And uh, Black women go to extreme measures to straighten their hair. You know, they put relaxer in it, and they put hot combs and all kinds of things that uh, disguises their hair from the texture that it actually is and imitates the, um, you know, the, the texture of white people's hair. Um, there are many things in the culture that black people had started losing our identity and losing our appreciation for our own culture. Um, to the extent that many black people are flattered when white people uh, pay attention to them. It's really weird. So I think the black power movement had the effect of, there was a slogan called Black is Beautiful. Yep. And that was kind of a revolutionary slogan back then because black was really considered ugly. And you never saw a black person on the cover of a magazine 
unless it was ebony and jet. And um, even then, the black people would not be dark skinned with wide features and kinky hair. They would be lighter hue and uh, more European features and straighter hair. And so I think the black power movement created a an appreciation for the African part of ourselves and for our blackness. And, and I'll just add a, an opinion here, Joshua, because yeah. I think it's important. And that is that it is the fact that we are descendants of enslaved Africans that is our bond, that is the thing that can unify black people. Uh, Hispanics have their language and their culture, and we have, you know, uh, our culture. And fundamentally, it's the fact that we're descendants of enslaved Africans. The purpose of the movement was to eliminate segregation. And it was a movement by black people with the support of whites. Um, you know, since, again, since the that time, white people have written books that made it look like whites were the movement. <laughs> and they'd overemphasize their role. Okay. Now, now Malcolm X uh, was not really uh, part of the black power movement. But um, I think his and the black Muslims' contribution was that they worked a lot with prison, uh, people who were prisoners, and um, they had a lot of success in getting people who were derelicts, really, to clean up their lives and, uh, you know, put on suits and ties and become upstanding citizens. Um, I see that as one of the uh, the accomplishments of, of Malcolm and, uh, you know, that that branch, I'll call it, of the movement. But once again, with the nonviolent movement, we set objectives, and we set getting the right to vote as an objective and did it with Selma. You know, it's really interesting because when you deal with thousands of human beings, Things aren't very cut and dry sometimes. <laughs> They're complicated. Um, let's take Selma, for instance. The local people who lived in Selma had wanted to vote, wanted the right to vote for a long time. Just a handful of them had the right to vote. And they established the Dallas County Voters League. So they had been making moves to try to vote for a while uh, unsuccessfully. And then SNCC sent a couple of field secretaries in, and they did some organizing of the people and some political education. And back then we had literacy tests, and, uh, you know, part of the requirement to vote was that you pass the literacy test and paid the poll taxes. And those were mainly put there to keep blacks from voting and to give an excuse, really. 
So SNCC was there for a little while. And uh, I guess they made a, I have to say unsuccessfully, although in terms of uh, not uh, unsuccessfully because they didn't get many black people registered, but they did lay a groundwork with those education classes that uh, once again, you know, reinforced black people's desire to vote. And then when the four little girls were murdered in the church in Birmingham in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church, um, Bevel and I that day decided that we would not be able to respect ourselves as a man and a woman if we just let that go. And uh, we designed what became the Selma Right to Vote movement that afternoon and took it to Dr. King and he would not do it. (laughs) Um, We tried for several months to persuade him and Andy Young, who was the executive director of SCLC, to do that movement and um, go into Alabama to try to get the right to vote. We were not successful at persuading them. Beva was director of direct action for SCLC. And we decide, he and I decided that he should take a few of his staff, go into Alabama, and if he could manage not to get fired for insubordination for a couple of months and get start organizing the people, we knew that the people in Alabama would ask Martin to come over, come to Alabama, and he would do it. And that's, in fact, what happened. And then when we were uh, involved in that movement, a number of SNCC people came over and were organizing. There was not a lot of harmony between SNCC and SDLC. In fact, although we presented a unified force to the press and to the public, but I think one thing, SNCC was there because they had begun organizing and did not want to simply give up the state of Alabama as though only the Southern Christian Leadership Conference were there. So they came over and they they helped a lot. They educated people, they organized people, and they worked on the right to vote. So the two organizations plus the local people all working towards that end were successful. Uh, Miss Nash? Yes. I'd like to uh, thank you for letting me call you and talk to you and ask you questions. You uh, are very welcome. I'm uh, happy to do it. And if you have more questions, feel free to call me. Thank you. You know, the uh, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in the Ford Theater, and uh, there is an organization built around the Ford Theater. It's called the Ford Theater's Foundation. And every year, they give someone the Lincoln Medal, and it's given uh, to someone that they think represents the um, ideals of Lincoln, you know, democracy and and uh, Americanism and what have you. And uh, 
so they are going. I'm the awardee this year.